Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I came across a a can recently that said this. It said, warning, contents under pressure. And maybe if you look in your cabinet, you'll find one like that too. I got thinking about some people, particularly Christians, that maybe they ought to wear a sign too. Beware, because the contents of this Christian is under pressure. And it wouldn't be too hard either because we live in a very pressure time of the year. There's a stress scale by, done by a person by the name of Holmes. And he lists 100 significant events in our life that will cause stress. And he rates which ones are the highest. The number one on that scale happens to be the death of a spouse. And those of you that have gone through that, you might have begun to heal now, or you are healed, but you remember during that time of loss, that was a tremendous amount of stress. And then those of you who've gone through a divorce, that would be number two, or another loss of a loved one. But in that list, way up at the top, during what period of time has the most stress? And that happened to be, according to the home stress scale, was the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, you might be wondering, why am I speaking to that issue to people like you and me? First of all, as Christians, we're not immune from being stressful. We still have the same type of choices that the world makes often, and we have the same kind of things that are hitting us that causes us to have stress. But more so, it affects us this way, that if our lives aren't fully filled with the fullness of God, where we have Him fully in control of our life and having that joy, then we are modeling a lifestyle that is similar to the world. We're stressful, they're stressful. So why would the world ever want what we have if we act like the world? And so that's why we have the potential to have a life that's not free from stress, but one that has a stress reliever in it, which would be the Lord. And that's what I want to speak to this morning. If you look at your passage that's found in the outline, you're going to find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And so I asked myself the question, is that possible to really rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what circumstance we're in? And I'd like to tell you that the answer is yes. Now, it's easy to preach it, easy to talk about it, but sometimes it's difficult to live. But yes, it is. Now, next Sunday, here in the morning service, we're going to have what is known as the Lord's Supper or Communion. One of the words for the Lord's Supper is the word Eucharist. Some of you that come out of a high church, you'll hear about that term, Eucharist. But actually, it just means I receive it with thanksgiving. And that's appropriate for us that we see everything we have from the Lord and we say thank you for that and communion is a part of it. Also in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 8, that passage actually gives us four steps, four keys, but actually are in a step pattern for us to be able to have a life of thanksgiving with a lot less stress. Let me read to you. First of all, it begins by saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then a little bit later, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, he says then, meditate on these things. Well, again, there are four truths in this passage that I believe that if we embrace these truths by the power of God, allowing the Spirit of God to transfer that into our life, then we can have a life of thankfulness even though we live during a time of stress. Let's look at number one. First of all, it says worry about nothing. 
Let me read that to you. It simply says, be anxious for nothing. Again, that's easier said than done. It's no sweat. As soon as you say it, I'm not going to worry. All of a sudden, something comes into our mind and we worry about it. I often joke around here, those that have been around here a while, that my wife truly does have, I believe, the spiritual gift of faith. And that means that no matter what happens, she just doesn't rock her boat. She really has a great deal of trust. I have a gift too. It's called the gift of worry. And so I don't know, but God sometimes brings the two of us together and Carol comes alongside of me and she reminds me again to refocus. And what she tells me is scripture. And she says, now Stan, it says, be anxious for nothing. It's like a command that we really don't have a choice, that we're not to be anxious. Smithsonian Institute has a magazine that came out and it identified this time in society as this. It happens to be America's golden age of anxiety. In fact, they talked about it in the article that we have what is known as micro-worries. A micro-worry, they said, is something that we worry about that's personal to us, something that deals with our little world. It could be something that belongs to us. It could be our health. It could be a relationship that we personally are in. That's a micro-worry. Then they said that we also have now, because of the internet and television and worldwide communication, what would be known as macro-worries. Now, you think that all we have to deal with is our day-to-day things, but it doesn't take long that we wake up in the morning. And what do we wake up to, everyone? What wakes us up in the morning? It's an alarm clock, right? It's not a comfort clock. It's an alarm clock. And so we throw the television on, and what do we see? Bad morning America. And they talk about good morning America, but all they talk about often are bad reports of what's going on. So we shut that off, and we get our bowl of Wheaties out, we open up the newspaper and write off the headlines are to grab our attention about more problems that are on our island. So we set that aside and we go to the world section and we see what's happening in the world today. We don't like that, so we finish our Wheaties, put the paper down, we get in the car and we turn on talk radio. And on our way to work, they're interviewing people that are having all sorts of problems. That's not enough, so at 9 o'clock to 3 in the afternoon, all we're going to hear about people arguing about what's going on in the political arena here and around the world. So all day long, we have what are known as micro-worries, things that are affecting us personally, but macro-worries. We not only have Afghanistan, we not only have Iraq, and if you know even now, if you're following what's going on in Iran and what's going on in North Korea, any of that, perhaps in our lifetime, could blow up into something that could affect us. So we have worries that are slapping us all the time. A doctor by the name of Walter Calvert said this about the study of worry. Now, I don't know how he did his study. I'd like to see all the research done on it. But here's what he has said. He said that 40% of our worries never really happen. So let's say that you have 10 worries. You can take four of them and throw them in a bucket right now because out of that, the first four don't even count. There's something that we don't need to be worried about. So that leaves us with six more. Well, out of that list, we have 30% are things that we worry about that concern the past. Some of you will think about, oh, I should have done this, and I have this regret, and you worry about what you've done in the past and what you said and how you did it. We all do that. And so we think about it, but sometimes we take the problems of our worry in the past, we bring it into the present, and it complicates us because now we don't have the fullness of joy, and that now is hurting us in our relationship with the Lord. So 30% of our worries concern the past. So let's not let our past mess up our present and the future. Well, now that's taken three more. So now we're down to just... 3 out of 10 left, or 30% left. Out of that, 12% of those worries deal with needless health concerns. If you're really honest, how many times you've gone to the doctor and the doctor is examining you or he looks at your test that you've taken and he goes, hmm, hmm, interesting, hmm. 
and all of a sudden your heart actually skips a beat. Now, we're a Christian, and we know that we shouldn't have any fear, any worry, but immediately when the doctor goes, hmm, we get a little nervous. And then we even get more nervous when he says, I think there's something suspicious here. We hardly hear what he says next. And then it's go off for more tests. Well, again, you can say about 12% of those are needless. That's no big deal. You know, we can get through that. That's all right. So now that leaves us with only 8% possibly, which would be our legitimate concerns. Now, frankly, this little assessment that was done by Dr. Calvert, I know that could change with each one of us based on our personality and what we're going through in life. But I think there's still enough there for us to realize that there are going to be things that we don't need to worry about, things that aren't as severe as we think that they really are. And if there is only that little 8% that's left, one person said this, well, why don't you put it on, the, on your calendar and say, okay, I have 8% to worry about, so between 4 and 4.15 today, that's my worry time. After that, I'm not going to worry about it any longer. Now, that's cute, and it brings a chuckle to our heart. But in reality, though, the Bible says be anxious for nothing, including that little 8% that's there that we're struggling with at that time. So maybe for us, that might be something that we would want to work through. I like to say it this way. Worrying doesn't change anything. So stop stewing and begin doing what God wants us to do, which would be ceasing from our worry, because God doesn't want us to worry. You might say, how do I accomplish that? I have another verse for you in your outline. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, and it says this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Worry about other things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So simply put, the key is this, and that is just to live one day at a time. For just a moment, don't think about the problems that you're going to encounter tomorrow. Think about what you have left for today. For example more minutes of the message. God's speaking to you. You want to embrace this. You want to have ownership of it so that you'll bring glory to the Lord. Afterwards, you're going to have an opportunity to visit with some of your dear friends and some of you family people are going to get together and chit chat and talk story. Then quickly after that, you're going to have a chance to eat a little bit. And then we're going to decorate this church. So you're going to be able to stay and help with that and watch this place turn into a dazzling Christmas array of colors and lights and things that we're doing to get ready for the holiday. Next Sunday, you'll sit back here and you're going to look at what you did to make this special for all the guests that will be coming. And then later on, you might go home and might take a nap, might read the newspaper, might do some laundry, might do some other stuff that's going on. Just slow down. Enjoy today because this is the day that God has given to you at this moment. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Grace is for, day, for today and God will give you fresh grace and mercy for tomorrow. So worry about nothing. It's a command. It's something that we have to do. It's not a mental gymnastics. It's something that we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus never worried about anything and he lives inside of us worry-free so we can let him live his life out through us. All right, here's step number two. We're told not to worry, so okay, what do I have to do now to quit worrying? Well, the second part is to pray about everything. Look at the verse. It says, in everything, by prayer, let your requests be made known to the Lord. So prayer is building a relationship with the Lord by communicating with Him. And one of the ways you communicate with Him is to make your requests known to the Lord. So what would you be struggling with right now? Are you worried about some... Christmas parties that you have to go to, and can you really make it in time, and the calendar's getting full. What about presents? Who do you buy a present for, and how much did you spend, and you don't have as much money this year, and people are coming in and out of your life, and who gave last year, and who you want to give this year to? What about problems you're facing? You know that this year, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, will be a lot worse. So maybe at this particular time, list all those issues that you're struggling with, and you take it to the Lord in prayer right now. 
You take that moment and you leave it with the Lord because it says, in everything, give thanks. Now, sometimes there are new Christians that think this way. They think that God really is concerned about the religious things in our life. The rest of the stuff really don't matter, so he really wants us to care about the religious things in our life. Well, partly that's true. He does care about the things that we do. He's excited about some of you that are inviting people to our, no fright, or to our uh, Night of Delights and to those of you that invited people to the trolley ride next week. He's excited about that. He's excited about some of you that are getting your Bible and, and you're now wanting to know, where do I begin? So that's a little bit of a dilemma there, but he's going to walk you through it. But you know what else he's concerned about? He's also concerned about the little things with your health and your kids, your career, your car, your house, your future. He really does care. And the reason he allows those issues to come into our life, I believe, is so that when they come in and we are encumbered by them, that we immediately take those and we give them to the Lord because it's through that dynamic that brings us closer to him, which is what it's all about. So it's not about the problems. It's all about the personal relationship that those problems could give us when we really go to the Lord. So in everything, we're to give thanks to him because he is so special. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Here it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now take your pencil, if you will, and you know what we're going to do. Circle the word all. So in your mind right now, let the Holy Spirit bring one of your anxieties that you're carrying with you today. A report you got from the doctor. Something that you heard about at school. Something going on with a distant relative. Something that's happening with a neighbor. Something you heard on the job. And whatever that is, even while I'm speaking, take that and cast that upon the Lord. That particular Greek word is a very unusual Greek word. It's only used another time in Scripture in Luke. And it was used in such a way as they would take a blanket and they would throw it over there, their animal. So it would be like you would take a saddle and throw it on top of your horse. Or if you saw your little child and you knew that that child wasn't feeling well, you would take your blanket and you would lay it across your blanket and you would walk away. You wouldn't take the saddle off the horse. You wouldn't take the, the blanket off your cold child. You would leave it there. So when you cast your care upon the Lord, you're saying, Lord, I've got a burden. I've got something that's here that I'm holding emotionally, mentally. And I'm going to take that now just like a blanket and I'm going to give it to you. One commentator said it also could be the word drop. So in other words, you're just going to drop your problems. You're carrying a big load, you're going to drop it. Now I have to tell you, Carol and I, as we travel, we had to carry our luggage, which is okay. And I'm so glad we now live in a day, some of you will remember this, we live in a day now that all luggage seems to have little rollers on them. Have you ever seen that? How many of you are glad your luggage has rollers on it? All right. How many of you remember the day when they didn't have rollers on those luggage? Okay. I think in those days we actually carry less with us because they didn't have rollers. Now we have rollers and we carry more in it. Now that's a lot of fun when you're going through an airport. But Susan and Rick Griffith, they live at the seminary in Singapore. They don't live on the first floor. They don't live on the second floor. They live on the third floor. And you have to zigzag all the way to the third floor. It's 98 degrees in Singapore in 120% humidity, it seems like. And so we have two suitcases, two roll-ons, and a computer bag. And all that was Carol's makeup. No, I'm just joking, just joking. And so we hauled up the first night. The next day, we have to catch a flight then as we headed into, uh, into, into Myanmar. So haul it all back down. Go there, come back, haul it all the way back up again. 
Then the next day or two, we had to go to another place. So we hauled all the way back down again. We got back from that, hauled all the way back. I'm going to tell you, my arms are two inches longer than they were when I left. Now, I'm saying that, but it felt so good when I can finally take those bags after hauling them up three flights of stairs and dropping them. Now, I don't want to tell you those bags are my problem. I had anxiety. But I am going to tell you that each of us carry our own anxiety. So whether we use the word, we toss it off of us, or whether we drop it, whatever anxiety that you have now, the first command is, God says, be anxious for nothing. Easier said than done. So what's the doing part? The doing part is, go to the Lord in prayer, and you cast it upon the Lord. And He wants to receive it. Why does He want to receive our burden? I believe it to show how much He cares for you and me, so He will take that burden, and it builds a relationship with Him. And that's what the world wants, but they're trying to get it out of a bottle or out of a syringe, or they're trying to smoke it. And we can get it free, and it's sustaining, and it's all from God. I like what Flip Phillips' translation says it this way. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. Isn't that cool? We're a blood-bought, born-again believer, child of God. God cares for us. He wants to carry our burdens. Then, of course, he allowed us to have them come in so he can then take them back and carry them, and we now can have that relationship with him. So here's the insight. No problem is too big or too small to pray about. So whatever you're dealing with right now, I want you to know no problem is too big or too small for him to care about. And if that's the case... Now you take that to the Lord in prayer. Here's the third step. The third step is we need to thank God in all things. We need to thank God in all things. It says in everything by prayer again. So it's not just asking God for something, only that. It is also with thanksgiving. He says when you pray, pray with thanksgiving. Whenever you pray, you should always pray with thanksgiving. I got thinking about this and, and there may be some debate over this. So maybe you could talk about it at lunch today. I think sometimes we think that the healthiest emotion that we can have is the emotion of love. And I don't want to minimize that and take anything away from that, but I'd like to submit another emotion that I think is healthy for us. And that's the emotion of an attitude of gratitude. And here's why. When I'm not grateful, in other words, I'm not satisfied with what I have, when I feel like I've been given a raw deal, when I don't have enough, when I'm just all anxiety and worried so I'm not grateful... I'm a miserable person. If I'm miserable, I'm miserable starting on the inside because my attitude gets sour. Soon, because as I think, I feel, I behave, it goes from my thinking, now my emotions is kind of all messed up, and now I'm really kind of sour to the people that are around me. And that's one of the breakthroughs I think I had this particular trip, is the importance of that or the weakness that I have and that desperation I have for God, that I need this in my life. And so... A healthy emotion is one where we slow down and we say, Lord, you are in control of everything we cannot control and be grateful. Now, how did God bring that to my attention? I'm, I'm, I'm a long way from the finish line on this, folks, but I'm in the race. While we were gone, certain things began to become more clear. Why? There was new sights, new sounds, new experiences, no computer. So we'd say no distraction. We also were able to get a reasonable amount of sleep every day at a reasonable amount of recognized time. 
Television was no good. Couldn't get anything there in Burma. Didn't really matter. So all of a sudden, the dust began to quickly settle in my emotions. What came then was a, a sweeping emotion of regret because I realized that the, maybe the three or four weeks before I left that I was really uh, a sourpuss. That around here I you know, put on a good game face, but occasionally that little would come out and it wouldn't be good. And I realized that at times that I was um, anxious for things because I had unrealistic expectations or I assumed other people had expectations of me that I couldn't live up to. So that whole thing was going on. Then my time of prayer was usually about others, but never so much about confession of my own sin in this area or refocusing on who I am and then giving these things to God. And then I came to the point now that I had to be really grateful. Now, while that was happening, the dust settling on my life in just a normal scheduling factor, and God can now speak to me because I didn't have a blur of junk, I'm reading a 500-page biography. And those of you who know me know I enjoy reading biographies. This one I took was a 500-page classic biography written in 1955 that did enormous amount of research on the missionary called Adoniram Judson. Now, Judson was identified as America's very first missionary, although there were four missionaries that went out with him. He was the one who kind of got them together to go and get the people to go support him. Of all the places our first missionary went, where did he go? Rangoon, Burma, where we were. And I knew that, that's why I chose that. And it wasn't the first time I read it, but this one just opened up so much that he went through. What impressed me on, on two levels was how constantly grateful Judson was for every challenge that he faced, even before he left, while he was there, and all that he went through. Another time I'll tell you all, it doesn't matter his little scars, it does matter that he was stressed and he knew how to handle it. The second thing that impressed me, and this might help some of you wives, I don't know, but he had three wives, and here's where I'm going with this. It was not uncommon for you to have more graves in your backyard in a missionary in those early days than you'd ever want. Besides your wives, your children are dying. Other missionaries are dying. Often, often, not because of any form of martyrdom. Their martyrdom wasn't because their throats were slit. Their martyrdom was that their health gave out because they were in a very unhealthy area, and they died because of dysentery and all the rest. But each one of his wives was given an enormous amount of grace, of gratefulness, and was able to continue to keep Judson encouraged. And so the two of them were able to go through all of that. So I'm reading through this and I'm sensing, man, I've had a great wife who's been, a great, uh, been an encouragement to me. And now what I see is how God has blessed me with a great staff, a great board, a great church, a great life, a great everything. Man, I need to be grateful. So I'm on this journey, but while I'm sharing my heart with you, what is God speaking to you about? Are you grateful for your husband, your wife, your parents, your kids, your church, your pastor? Are you grateful for your job? You're grateful even though you don't have a job now for the freedom it gives you to do some other things? Are you in a sense of having this thankfulness for all things? When I was a young man, we used to sing, because they didn't have contemporary praise music, they had the old hymns, and one of those old hymns was a song that went like this, count your many blessings, name them one by one. How many remember that old hymn? Would you raise your hand? I like that old hymn. I had a, an elderly worship leader. His name was Herb Painter. His son was here a couple of months ago. Anyway, Herb Painter got up, and when he would start the song, he'd say, wait a minute, folks. Instead of singing this, count your many blessings, name them one by one, let's change that. Let's sing this song. Count your many blessings, name them ton by ton. 
Because often when we begin to think about our blessings, we can really look to him to say, thank you, Lord. On Wednesday night, we had a fabulous soup, S-O-U-P, out here dinner. So we call it super, and then we had praise in here. We had our largest crowd, 80 or more people were here on a stormy night. And some of you wanted to be here. You just couldn't get out of your, your driveway because of all the wet weather. But going back to this, Dawn, our sweet worship leader, got up here and she selected some songs. And one of those songs was a song that said, thank you, Lord. And she knows that some people somehow jam when there's too many times the same phrase in the song. And so she very wisely led us to remind us that the song will have the phrase, thank you, Lord, 50 times in, or, in, in a row. So instead of us griping over how many times it says in a song, she very wisely said this. Why don't you look at each one of those times and say, thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for this, and have 50 different thank yous. I'm going to tell you, while she was doing that, unfortunately, the song was slow, but it was still too fast for me to be able to quickly identify 50 things that I could be thankful for. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.